Well, praise the Lord. It's certainly good to be here today to see so many familiar faces and some not so familiar faces. I'm excited. You guys that know me, you, you, you probably think you're always excited. <laughs> but when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to the praise that we just offered up, when it comes to when we begin to focus our minds and our thoughts on Him, I can't help but be excited for what He's done. I'm so grateful to be able to be here today. It's an honor. I have I've greatly missed each and every one of you, and I, I still see your faces in my mind as I lift you up in prayer, and, and I am thankful that I know you pray for me also. So before I begin, let us... Go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, how wonderful you are. How altogether lovely you are. How beautiful you are, Lord. How gracious you are. How merciful you are. How we are so blessed to know you and to be known by you, Lord. And I pray that we would bring glory to your name today. Speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place and open up our ears to hear and our minds to understand, our hearts to receive and respond to your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be in John chapter 17 today, if you'd like to turn there. I'll be reading from the ESV. John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The hour has come. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know, you realize that this is just prior to Jesus entering the Garden of Gethsemane, entering the Garden of his agony, praying to God just before his trial and crucifixion. But here it is, we, we, have, we have an opportunity to hear the Lord pray. And it's a wonderful opportunity. Jesus himself praying. And, it, and it's not some, you know, he's not putting on airs, he's not, he's not multiplying words. He's coming as a man praying to the Father just as we pray to the Father. Father. The hour has come. The hour that all of history moves toward. It's hinted at in the Garden of Eden. It's longed for by the patriarchs. It's spoken of by the prophets. It's anticipated in the Gospels. The Lamb of God, a son offered, a sacrifice that will propitiate, that will atone for our sins. This is what creation has been groaning for since the beginning up until this hour. Oh, we need salvation. We need deliverance from our sins. How can it come? Here it comes through the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Jesus, the only begotten of God, looks up toward heaven, no doubt seeing home, right? He lifted up his eyes and he, he had been there. He had condescended. He had come down. He had left glory to take on flesh. So he looks up to heaven. Oh, the humanity that Christ reveals in this moment. Father, the hour has come. Throughout the earth ministry of Jesus, his singular focus has been obedience to the Father, fulfilling the work of the Father, fulfilling the will of the Father for this final The hour has come. Glorify your Son. Functions on so many different levels, but today I would have us understand that this prayer is a model for how we should, as Christians, be living our lives. I don't want to oversimplify, and I don't want to make it more complex than it is, but I want us to realize that everything Jesus did, he did as an example for us. Everything offered in the Gospels from his life are there so that we might learn, emulate him, pick up our cross, and follow after him. My seven-year-old grandson, some of you are familiar with him, his name's Dylan, He and I were having a conversation about the Bible one afternoon, and he announced with great pride that he had memorized a Bible verse and asked me if I wanted to hear it. Well, sure, I want to hear the Bible verse, but I have to admit, I'm ashamed to admit, that my mind immediately went to, you know, John 11:35. Jesus wept. That's what he probably memorized, right? He's just seven. Or Psalm 119:105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What verse did my seven-year-old grandson memorize? 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Wow. Wow. He memorized it, and he spoke it, and he spoke it with some fervor, too. I said, Dylan, do you understand what you just said? He said, yes, Papa, God is the greatest. Needless to say, I was wrecked at that point. Here, my grandson, it just reminded me of how we as believers must see God. This is the foundation of our belief. His is the greatness. His is the power. His is the glory. His is the victory and majesty. Not only is this the foundation of our faith, but it is what we must express by our lives and with our words to all of those around us. And if it's something different that we're expressing, then we're in error. We must begin at God's is the glory. I recently visited Israel and spent much time in conversation with an Israeli Jew. About 10 days, actually. I I got to witness to him every single day for hours. We had many frank conversations about Scripture. His heart and his mind were open to hearing the truth. But one thing that I appreciated about his Jewishness was his approach to God. He began many prayers with this. Baruch. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. 
Every prayer, that's how he began it. Blessed are you, O Lord, O God, King of the universe. That's where we must begin. It is he who created all things. It is he who sustains all things. It is he who holds all things together. If we do not begin there, then we cannot proceed. And this is in Jesus' prayer. This is what he begins with. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that he may glorify you. Jesus demonstrates this concept. You have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh. This is manifested. Jesus turned water into wine, multiplied bread and fish, walked on the water, cast out demons, healed all manner of diseases, raised the dead. And yet Jesus still humbles himself to God. Father. He gave Jesus authority to give eternal life to all whom would he, whom you would have given him, which he does. Here is the clue in verse 3. And this is eternal life, they, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus reveals in this prayer that this is eternal life. If we're seeking for something else, we're seeking for something altogether different than what Jesus said we must seek after. We must seek after God. That's eternal life. Eternity is going to be getting to know him more and more. Him revealing himself to us in greater and greater degrees. And we're never going to grow weary of it. We're never going to grow tired of it. Why? Because he is infinite. And Jesus went on in his prayer and said, I glorified you on earth having, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. How did he do that? How did he accomplish the work. Well, it's in the prayer. Continue on in, in verse 6 of chapter 17. I have manifested your name. That's the work that God had given him. He came to earth and he manifested the name of God to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Do you see that? Do we understand that? Do we approach everything in life that it comes from God? Romans 8, 28, all things work to the good of them, the called according to his purpose. Do we believe this? That whether something good or whether something bad, if we, if we can give God glory in it, he'll bring us through it. If we can give God glory in it, we'll see blessing from it. Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me. Every prayer of mine, every time I step behind a pulpit, which, by the way, this pulpit, I can't hide too much. Every time I, I stand in this place, I tremble. And the very first thing I pray is, God, let it be your words. My words are unimportant. My words would fall to the floor. My words may even do damage. But his words, his words bring life. His words wash us and cleanse us. His words quicken us. I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is Jesus working the work. What else is he doing? Look at verse 9. I am praying for them. Now, if nothing else in this, in this chapter, if nothing else in this prayer affects you, that should affect you. Jesus, the man praying 
for his disciples. That's how significant and important we are in this work of God that the Son of God would pray for us. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, here's another work. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Just for a brief moment here, can we consider that? Not to be legalistic in any way, not to put any kind of burden upon us, but do we resemble the world? Do we enjoy the world? Or are we considered alien to the world? That's what he just said, right? They are not of the world because I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. That's profound. I'm not even going to try to suggest I understand everything here. But what I did catch is I have manifested your name. Christ made known the character God's character, the law, God's law, and his will throughout the entirety of his ministry. In John 14, 9, we read, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, if we are following after him, if we are taking on ourselves his name, we are Christian, Christ-like, then we ought to do the same. We ought to make known God's character in how we live. We ought to make known his law in how we live. We ought to make known his will in how we live. I have given them the words you gave me, John 5.30 says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. See, it's not our It's not our opinions that matter. It's not our desires that matter. But it's the will and the word of God that matter. When it comes to being Christians, it's not just what we do, but it is who we are. And the way we approach life and the way we approach each other and the way we approach the world ought to be the same as what Jesus professed here. It's his words that are important. It's his opinion that is important. It's his will. And then he says, I am praying for them. Do you understand? I told uh, Brother David the, the title of this sermon is 
our model, our model to follow, something to that effect. I really didn't make a title, but this is the model that we ought to be following. What Jesus professes here, what he prays to the Lord, this is our model. We ought to be able to pray the same. Our hour has come, right? It is now. We are here. And Jesus said, I am praying for them. 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He was mediating even while he was on earth, even in his earthly ministry. You know, I, I love Faith Bible Fellowship. I love your heart for the lost. I love your outreach. I, I love the way you, you seek after people. And this is how we ought to do it right here. This is how we ought to do it. We manifest the name of God, the character of God. We present his word. And then as we're doing so, we're praying for those that we're witnessing too. In Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the othermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's still making intercession for us now. He went on and said, I kept them. I have guarded them. He preserved his disciples through example, instruction, and faithfulness to the work. He protected them from false doctrine and watched over them. And as we, as a body of believers, are going out and witnessing to people and and seeing people being drawn and having them come in, we ought to guard over them. We ought ought to protect them. We ought to be zealous for them and jealous over them just as God is jealous over us. It's not, you know, so often I see we'll, we'll go out and we'll proselytize and we'll witness and, and, and someone will come in and then rather than us seeing them as babes in Christ and, and just able to take milk, we want to just throw the whole basket on them and say, okay, let's get to work. We need to protect them. Why? That scripture might be fulfilled. This is the will of God. All that Jesus did was based upon the will and word of God. This is the purpose of it all. This is why we have this plan of salvation because the Lord wants us to come to him, to be reconciled to him, to receive him, to worship him. What did did Solomon declare? This is the end of the whole matter that we glorify God. Jesus went on and said, I consecrate myself. What does this mean? Yes, we know looking forward it means he offers himself on the cross. He humbles himself to death. But also it means consecrate, sanctify, separate. He separates himself unto God, unto the service of God entirely, completely, meaning he denies all his own desires, all his own will, and he surrenders utterly and completely to the will of God. Obedience, sanctification, and love are all tied together in one. This is how we ought to be. We ought to consecrate ourselves to, the, to God, to the will of God, to his word, to his will for our lives so often, and I'm included, so often it's, it's very easy to, to be distracted with occupying till he comes. 
It's very distracted to be to it's very easy to be distracted by just doing our daily lives, working and providing for our families, which we ought to do. Right? Working the works in the church, keeping the church alive and, and healthy, which we ought to do. But we need to remember that we ought to also seek his will first. We ought also to seek his will above all. Because his will may be different than what we're thinking we ought to do. Verse 20 in John 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now this is us. If you wanna if you, if you don't necessarily agree that he was praying for us in the beginning, you know, he was praying for his disciples, now he's praying for us. Now he's applying this to us. Why? Because we have believed on him because of their word. Right here it is. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And right there, that, that lays this commission upon us. That we would be one with them, with him. And if we are one, if we are singular in that, then the mission's the same. The prayer is the same. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory, that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. I don't know, but for me that was significant. He changed and started talking about us. Jesus, moments, you know, just a few hours before his crucifixion. He's praying for those around him, certainly, but then he prays for us. You know, when I go through things, this past week, we had to lay my mother, my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, to rest. To that place where we all go. <laughs> Right there in the front of the pulpit, in a casket. That's where we're all destined for. And I admit, all the all the things that came with it this this past week, it was it was it was difficult for me to concentrate on many things because I had to get this done and this done and this done. And so I can't imagine seeing before me the Via Della Rosa, that that road of agony, and Jesus saying. Okay, I'm headed to the cross, but right now I'm going to take a moment and pray not only for those around me, but for you. All believers since Pentecost 
That's who he was praying for. That day the Holy Spirit came down. The church began. That's who he was praying for. Everyone from that time forward until the end. That they may all be one. That they also may be in us. That they may be one even as we are one. Here is the charge. Jesus is declaring that all that we have heard in his prayer we would do also. This is our hour come. We must glorify God in all we do. His will as revealed in his word must be our driving force. This is the fulfillment of scripture. This is why we have this. This 66 books, this this authoritative eyewitness account written among eyewitnesses. As Brother Bill illustrated in Sunday school. Our commission is to go out into all the earth and make disciples. And just like Jesus, we too must do as he did. We must manifest the name and nature of God in our walk, in our conversation, in our lives. We must give to men the word of God, rightly interpreted, in truth, in sincerity, with much prayer. And we should pray, pray for those who hear the word. Once we give them the word of God, we must handle them gently as babes and nurture and nourish them, praying always for them. And we must keep them and protect them. How often do we find that it's different? Or, you know, rather than just heaping on them and saying, okay, now let's get to work and and giving them a spade to dig with. Sometimes it's, it's, it's even worse. It's, okay, now that you're in, you've got to do this, 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 and this to measure up. We need to protect them from that. We must consecrate ourselves to God and his will. If we would see men saved, if we would see hearts regenerated and lives transformed, if we would see our families born again, we must consecrate ourselves to the task. I am the most guilty here of being distracted by the so many things. You know, I know some people... They're not ready to profess that we are in the last moments of the last days, but I truly believe we are. And if it is true, then this is the most important task that we have in front of us. Seeing the gospel go forth. And more than that, living lives that testify to the point that men believe it. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And everybody goes, oh. Know this, we've heard it, but do, have we really truly heard it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not die but have eternal life. Jesus did that, did He not? God so loved the world, He sent His Son. Jesus came and died so that we would have eternal life. Well, 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We are called to do the same that Jesus did. 1 Peter 4 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. This is not a condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them in Christ. 
but this is a declaration. We can live a life in the will of God. We can be effective in our ministries, in our outreach, in our witnessing to the lost. How? Sanctify, consecrate yourself to his will. Put this word forth. Let his character live in you. Let the light of God and Christ shine out from you consistently, faithfully, accurately. Why all of this? Well, in verse 21, we read, read, so that the world may believe. As R.C. Sproul was fond of saying, Christ was the very refulgence of God, radiating the glory of God, representing and expressing the character of God. Though we cannot, to the same degree, do that, because he was the image of God, he is, he is God, God the Son. We can, we are expected to radiate the glory and person of Jesus Christ in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit within, and what are we told? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify of me. If the Holy Spirit is in us, then we are testifying of Christ, just as Christ testified of the Father. This is accomplished as we have been made new creatures possessing renewed minds in Christ. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 1 John 3.2 says, beloved, we are God's children now. Now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And finally, John seventeen twenty six. I have made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which ye have loved me may be in them and I in them. If anything I have said today has not resonated with you or if there's not a sincere urgency in you to see the lost come to Christ, pray, Lord, let that love be in me. Because that works. This is how it works. Love. God so loved the world. Love covers a multitude of sins. If we're not witnessing, if we're not reaching, if we're not praying for the lost, if we're not emulating Christ in this and putting forth the word of God and putting forth his character, then we're lacking in love. And that's, it's easy to do today, I understand. In my secret place, I have to pray often. Lord, give me love. Let me love. Let me love. If I cannot love, I cannot forgive. And if I cannot forgive, I cannot be forgiven. Let me love. There's a desperate world out there. And it's we, Christ in us, is their hope. Let us pray.
Father, I thank you, Lord, for your love, for that astounding love, that amazing grace that you have given us in it. Oh, God, let this word go forth and let it, let it find good soil. Let it take root and grow in us, God, and let it change us, Father, each at our own pace, Lord, but let it be so that it changes us and, and that it manifests in us, Lord, and that we see a, a great harvest from it, God, that our families, our loved ones, our neighbors, our coworkers, and, and even strangers on the street, Lord, would see something in us and desire to know what that is that we may see the lost come in, but more so, Lord, that we may see your name glorified. In Christ's name I pray, amen.